happy seventh year anniversary. Amen. We are thankful. I had an opportunity to go out of town this week and was in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, in a beautiful area of Nashville. I'm sitting doing my uh, devotionals that morning and thinking about, it was on the actual 15th, which is our, our actual day we started, and just thinking about what I was doing that morning seven years ago. A U-Haul truck was pulling up to the house and loading equipments and signs and different things we needed to get started, and just excited because at the end of the day, God knew seven years later, we would celebrate our anniversary during a pandemic. He knew seven years later, we would be celebrating our anniversary through a time in our culture. That's, that's just challenging. And the same God that sustained us through those seven years are, is the same God that's going to sustain us through all of the crisis and bring us out on the other side in his good timing. He is faithful. He is faithful. So we celebrate that. We celebrate those that have been rocking with us for this long. And we're thankful for all that God is doing. I have some other big news. You heard about co-work. We're really excited about that. Um, thank you for this. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> really excited about that. As a matter of fact, today we had a young lady coming and doing some photography, man, and some stuff is already in movement and going. We're starting some renovations. We're just excited about getting a chance to operate and do business for the kingdom. But also, I man, I got some more news. We're going to be regathering as a church starting September 26th. Let's give God praise for that. So we are, going to be, we are going to be gathering a little bit different on Saturday nights at Calvary Chapel in Boynton Beach. Um, and the first thing I want to do is, man, kind of just leave some room for you to uh, not be ready to come back. And if that's you for any reason, if there is just some challenges, maybe with your health, um, maybe with the pre-existing conditions, maybe you're just not ready, I don't want you to feel pressured at all to come back, but I do want to highlight why we're doing this. We are doing this because we want to fulfill the need that we have as humans to gather and worship corporately. That is a serious need that we have, and for six months we haven't been able to do so. And so why are we doing this now? We're doing this because we feel we have the ability to launch public service in a way that is safe and, and uh, paying attention to preventing the spread of COVID-19. So how are we going to do that? A couple of things. One, everyone will be required to wear face masks the entire time they're on campus. Uh, your temperature will be taken before you come into the building as another way to just be uh, cautious and wise. We also will uh, practice our contract tracing through taking note of everyone that comes on the campus. So we're going to be asking and requiring your sign-in information as you come in on campus. And then also the sanctuary will be sanitized uh, before you guys come in here. So that's a benefit as well. And then we will practice social distancing within the sanctuary. So the sanctuary is laid out in a way that we can practice social distancing while worshiping. And so we thank God for that. We thank God for our friends and kingdom partners at Calvary Chapel, Boynton Beach, and them opening up the do their doors and being so hospitable to us. Let's give them a hand clap as well. Okay, so I want to encourage you to 
uh, be a part of that. We start at 6.30 and run from about 6.30 to 8 o'clock. Um, it's going to be an awesome time of worship and, and gathering together as the body of Christ. Uh, and so I want to encourage you to that. Now let's get into the time in the Word of God. I want to encourage you to share this. Hit the share button on your link there in the video. Get this out. I think this is going to be good. We are starting a brand new series called Rebuild from the book of Nehemiah. So share this and get this word out. Let me start this series off properly by doing what we do. What time is it? Let's get it. We got a few friends here today, just a few, if if you're watching this on Facebook. Let's jump in. Just last year, September of 2019, there came a storm named Dorian. And Dorian came, as many of us remember, and it hit the island of the Bahamas. And if you remember, that storm didn't just hit it and pass through. That storm hit it, and it rested there for several days, dropping incalculable numbers of of gallons of water, causing uh, death and chaos. I was listening to a story preparing for this, and the man is recounting the story of watching his wife and his children be drifted away in the storm and the surge that was happening right in front of his eyes, causing some upward of $5 billion in damages. As I'm watching this video and I'm, I'm listening to their story, one of the things that I saw is some nine to 10 months later, they are still trying to to create some semblance of normalcy, some, some, some movement towards rebuilding, some movement towards getting their life back on track, and only about 20% of them returned to the island of the Bahamas to live there again. Many of them vacated and said, I'm not coming back. And it, it hit me, this powerful imagery of Rebuilding, as a matter of fact, right after the storm passed over that island, you saw people begin to come out and try to clean stuff up and straighten some things out. It's something in the human nature that once we experience travesty or once we experience devastation, something in us wants to rebuild. Something in us wants to get that thing right. And I believe in a time of a great pandemic, in a time of of cultural unrest, God is calling us, the people of God, to build again, to build again. I don't know what you need to rebuild. I don't know what has gone broken in your life. I don't know what your challenges are. I don't know if that's with just your own struggling and finding who you are again because you've lost yourself. I don't know if you need to rebuild your faith and trust in God. I don't know if you need to rebuild your, your calling and your mission for life. Or maybe you need to rebuild how you see yourself because over time, in some way or another, your, your, your self-perception has been denigrated as if a storm has taken an effect in how you see yourself. Maybe it's rebuilding your relationship with your children or rebuilding your relationship with your parents. Whatever it is, Nehemiah is going to help us. Moreover, Jesus is going to help us. So let's jump into the text. Nehemiah, we'll deal with 11 verses uh, this morning. (laughs) Uh, So let's open up and and check out this text. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, 
Now it happened in the month of Sheslar, in the 20th year, when I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of the brothers, came with a certain man from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those, those who love him and keep his commandment, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sin of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. We, we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments and the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. But if you return to me, keep my commandments and do them. Though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to my prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servant who delights to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was a cupbearer. I want to talk to you from the title Broken Prayers in this first part of this 10-part series on Rebuild. Theme today is broken prayer, three points, broken city, broken posture, and broken prayer. Broken city, broken posture, and broken prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for being the God that is faithful. Thank you that you are gracious and kind towards us. Now I pray, would your word fall on good ground? Would you bring about the kind of conviction and energy that is needed for us to rebuild in the arenas you are calling us to rebuild in? Help us, Lord, not build our life on sinking sand, but help us, Lord, to build our life on a firm foundation. It's you, Jesus. Help us to build our life on you, Jesus, you being the, the, the chief cornerstone, the anchor, the support of our whole being. Would you remind us that you have a plan and a purpose for all that you're doing in the earth? So would you change us and equip us for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give some context. We're going to be in a series for 10 weeks. So I want to give a little bit of context so we understand where we are. In this book of Nehemiah, 150 years prior to, the, to this book being written, the northern kingdom has been taken captive by a group of people called the Assyrians. The southern kingdom of Israel had been invaded and seized by a group of people called the Babylonians, and they have been exiled. 
what they would do when they would come into a city is they would take the men and they would chain them up together and they would lead them out of the city and they would have the wives and the children follow behind those men. It was a way to denigrate them, to humiliate them. And what it did is it left the city that they left vacant. In other words, when this happened, Jerusalem was a ghost town. This once glorious city filled and, and anchored by this glorious temple of Solomon was destroyed. Later, the Babylonians would be captured by a group of people called the Persians, and the Persians would have mercy on Israel, and they would allow Israel to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild their life. And although some two to three million were taken captive into captivity, only about 50,000 returned. In other words, because of the tragedy, everybody didn't come back to rebuild. Footnote. Rebuilding is hard. So even as I go through this series, there'll be some that hear and take inventory and work towards rebuilding, and then there'll be others that, that, that would hear this as just another sermon. But I believe, I, want, I believe God wants to anchor us down on something. As I'm preaching this morning, I, I want you to get a picture in your mind of what it is that God may be calling me to rebuild. Maybe my, my, my prayer life has, is, is non-existent. And at some point in my life, it's, it's what I did. It was who I, who, who I was. Maybe in this series, God is calling you to rebuild your prayer life. Maybe it's a recommitment to ministry. Maybe it's a recommitment to grow in the things that God's calling you to. Listen, I don't know specifically. But what is that thing God's calling you to rebuild? Sometime later, as they are returning, God would send a man named Ezra who would lead people back to Jerusalem. And here's what he did. Ezra helped rebuild the temple. He began to set back in place the spiritual foundation for the people of God. And then later comes Nehemiah, whose passion and the way he's wired is towards rebuilding walls. Point one, broken city. Let's look at verse two and three and see what the text says. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the, the remnant there in the province or province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. And the walls of Jerusalem are broken down. Here's the problem. The walls are down. Now you hear that and you'd be like, well, somebody raised up another wall. Like what's, what's the big deal here? But in that culture, without walls, your city was open to invasion. I think a way that we could think about in a way that's helpful is to think about if somehow, some way, there was no more uh, armed forces. There was no army. There was no air force. There were no Marines. In other words, we were susceptible to attack. And not only attack, we would be susceptible to repeated attacks because there's no defense. Part of the question that I came as I'm thinking about this, and I'm just trying to think logically, Lord, why are you allowing this to happen to your people? Why would you let this happen? Why would you let them have to go through this exile and be taken captive and then have to make this 800-mile journey back to Jerusalem? Why would you allow it? 
If those are my kids, I don't want my kids having to strain like that. Why would you allow that to happen? And maybe that's a question you're asking now. You're asking, Lord, why are you allowing this, whatever this thing is, to happen to me? Why this challenge? Why do I have to rebuild in the first place? Why couldn't you keep up what I had? Why is there this tension, this challenge, this difficulty? Why does 2020 sometimes feel like 1960? Why this challenge? Here's why. Here's why. Because of sin. Now, here's why and this is the gospel message, you know it, we're going to hit it every week, but here's why this is important. If I don't tell you it's sin, here's what you're going to think. You're going to think God ain't treating you fairly. You're going to think, for some reason, God doesn't have a right to allow you to go through challenge and difficulty. You're going to think you're a really good person. May I pause and remind you as we talk about rebuilding, you are jacked up. You got some issues you got inconsistencies, you are not holy in and of yourself, you are not righteous, you are broken. The walls that have been broken down and burned by fire is a great imagery of my life in your life pre-Christ. Broken. And not just born broken, but a lot of times we function in brokenness. Dan was hitting on it as he was leading worship for us. He would say things like, we, we, we don't worship God exclusively. We rather worship idolatry. Some person or some thing or some desire that we want, we rather give our attention to As a matter of fact, this week in prep, one of the things I heard was, was, was all of us have an incredible prayer life. I was waiting for him to see where he was going to go after that. He said, all of us have an incredible prayer life, and we pray to what we believe in consistently. So if it's, I believe that if I have this thing, then I'll be better, then you talk about that thing all the time, and prayer is nothing more than communication. Or if you worship some person, you talk about that person all the time. You're going to drop their name at some point. Why? Because you're praying to that person. All of us have an incredible prayer life. That's why praying should be like, like breathing. For, but for the believer, we should know who we pray to. We'll get there in a second. So it's not just the, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom that have these issues. It's you and me. When God calls us to be worshipers, we rather worship other things. When God calls us to be servants, we rather serve ourselves. When God calls us to be witnesses of his gospel, we, we rather hide to make sure no one feels uncomfortable about what we're saying. On a plane uh, returning to South Florida, I'm trying to get some prep done, trying to make some work on this sermon, and this lady's sitting next to me, and I can feel it coming. I can feel it coming. Uh, Here's what she says. What do you do for a living? I felt it coming. I knew it was coming. I said, I'm a pastor. She said, no. I said, yes. She said, no. I really don't know what that means anymore, and I stopped trying to figure it out. 
she proceeds to start telling me about her dad, and she's, she, she's telling me stories of how her dad did her wrong, and, and then the next second, she's telling me stories about how much she loves her dad and how much he's done for her. And she's going back and forth and, and saying, man, I can't stand him. And then she's telling me, but he's a really good man. And I'm, and I'm thinking in my head, lady, what are you saying? I want to prep or sleep. Those are my two options. What she's trying to say is, it's complicated. Humanity is complicated. The things we want to do, we don't do. And the things we don't want to do, we find ourselves doing. It's complicated. There needs some, to be some rebuilding. I had a chance to, to share with her the gospel of Jesus Christ and how what she's longing for is not necessarily just redemption with her father. That's a symptom of another redemption she needs with her eternal father and that if she would trust and believe in him and, and, and the son that he sent, then there can be peace even if there's no peace between you and your dad. You see, what we need is faithful obedience to God, but we fall over and over and over again. And it started with Adam, but it doesn't end with Adam. It's still happening today. And that shows up in all kinds of ways in our brokenness. That shows up in a global fight for power. That shows up in nasty politics. That shows up in racism. That shows up in fatherlessness. That shows up in sexual abuse. That shows up in addictive behavior. That shows up when, when, when children are abandoned. It shows up when million Americans, millions of Americans are plagued by anxiety and depression. What is that? That's brokenness. The walls are broken. The walls are burnt down. This city, this country, this world is broken. But God wants to call us to help, to serve, to work in concert with him to rebuild walls. Not just in our lives, but in the lives of others. This is our church's mission. We are joining Christ in the renewal of all things. And that's hard and that's messy and that's tiring and that's, that's sometimes unrewarding, so it would seem, but he's still calling us into that service. But how do we do that, one would ask. Point two, broken posture. If you're going to rebuild your life, your ministry, your calling, your sexual purity, your generosity, your life, your marriage, here's what you need to do. You need to have the right foundation. And this is what Nehemiah helps us with in chapter one. He's saying, if you're going to rebuild, let's start by redoing the foundation. You're going to rebuild whatever the rebuilding project is. If you're going to do it, you've got to start with the right foundation. What is this foundation? We'll get there. But let's first look at who Nehemiah was. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. He would drink what the king would drink before the king would drink it, just in case the king's poison. Someone's trying to poison the king, Nehemiah would die, king will live. It's an interesting job. Got to have some good life insurance to do that, right? Like, it's, that's, that's interesting. But this job as a cupbearer gives him influence and gives him authority. He is privileged, but not a preacher. 
He's privileged in the fact that he, he sits at the best of tables and eat the best of foods and drink the best of drink. He is with the king, so he is safe from attack. He is with the king, so he has access to provision. He is well cared for. He's privileged, but he's not a preacher. Here's the deal that I want to drive home. You don't have to be a preacher or a pastor or holding some office in the church to affect change. This brother got a government job, and he did what he was called to do probably because he was a person of great integrity, had an excellent spirit, and could be trusted. Very much so like Daniel. If you remember Daniel and the Hebrew boys, Daniel had an excellent spirit about him. So even though he was in captivity, he, was, he, he, he raised up to high positions. Or maybe like Esther, even though her people were, were, were beaten down, she raises up to be the queen. Listen, even in an impoverished situation, you can be raised up in part because of your excellent spirit and because of your integrity and because of the call of God on your life. So he could easily, he could easily say, you know what? I'm the cupbearer. I got a good job. I got good benefits. You know, I worked hard to get this job. I take care of my family. Uh, I'm hearing what's going on down there, but that's down there. That's not me. I hope they can fix that. I hope they can work that out. It's like us when we see so many things hit our social media feed. And you're seeing this, you're like, oh, man, that's, that's, that's so sad. But we don't, we don't dial in. We say, oh, man, okay. We respond in some way. We make a comment and we stop there. You're watching news on whatever news uh, channel you watch. You're hearing about something horrible that's happening in humanity, but we're unaffected because there's so much travesty. There's so much destruction. There's so much peril. And so we easily dismiss it. He could have easily said, listen, I'm good, I'm straight, you know, I made it, that's it. Y'all don't have to make it on your own, but that's not what he does. When he reads his news feed from his friend, here's what the text says. The first thing he does is he sits down, and he probably sits down because standing up is too hard. He's been affected, so he is mourning and he is weeping. There's some things that I am believing God to do in the life of our church and in people in our churches. Sometimes when I think about when God is going to bring it to completion, it makes me weep when I see where he brought this person from right there to all the way over there. What makes you weep? What makes you mourn? What makes you sit down and become contemplative about what you're hearing or what you're reading? Maybe it's when you look at we're up to 200,000 people that have died because of COVID in our country. Maybe it's seeing children being abused or, or, or sold into sex trafficking. What makes us mourn? He also doesn't just mourn for a moment. The text says he's, he's mourning day and night. In other words, this is continual mourning. This is, this is something he read or saw that he can't shake. He can't go past this. He can't act like he didn't see it. It's, it's a lot like the traumatic videos of, of African-Americans dying this year. There's some stuff, once you see it, you can't unsee it. What's that stuff for you? That continually rests on your heart and on your mind. It captures your attention and it doesn't let it go. Lastly, he said he fasted and prayed. 
Now, the thing about fasting, when, when we fast, like when, as a church, when we fast, we'll put away a meal. And, and what that looks like for a lot of us is we drive past Chick-fil-A. That looks like. It takes us a minute or two, and we drive past Chick-fil-A. But in biblical times, when they would fast, a meal would take a long time to prepare. So when you're saying, I'm not going to eat, you're not just saying, I'm going to miss a meal and, be, uh, and, and suffer some hunger pains. What you're saying is, I'm going to miss a meal. And that chunk of time that it took us to prepare for that meal, I'm going to dedicate that time to the Lord. He's not just not eating. He's, he's etching out time in his schedule to be in the presence of God. So he prayed and he fasted. Gospel Fellowship, here's what I am convinced of. If we always do what we've always done, we'll always be where we always were. I don't know if I said that right. I think I might. Is that okay? Okay, cool. Thanks. Um, that was good. Okay, cool. Um, these next years got to be different. These next seven have to be different. God's going to call us to a place as a church where we can't just do what we've always done. Our hearts must be broken afresh and anew. I know we've, we, we, we've been doing this and we've been putting on services and we've been doing the mission that we've been doing and we've been, we, we've been praying, but that has to go somewhere else for us to be who God's calling us to be. And he's going to do it by his grace and he's going to do it by his mercy but we're going to have to work in concert with what God's calling us to do. And here's where it starts. Broken prayer. Broken prayer. I love how Nehemiah continues. He starts this prayer, and it's absolutely beautiful. Here's where he starts. He, he gets before God after he's mourned, after he's cried, and, and not just cried, but wept, which is completely different. And he fasted and he's praying. Now he goes again before the Lord. And look what he says in verse 5. He says, and I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He is praying, watch this to a good and faithful God. And you would say, okay, Rodney, that's cool. But that's really important because some of us don't view God that way. Some of us view God as, as this, little, this, this guy in the sky, and as soon as I mess up, he's going to hit me or punish me. So we walk around waiting to suffer. We walk around unable to enjoy the good gifts that he's given us. We walk around thinking too low of ourselves. Why? Because we think we serve a sadistic God or someone that, that, that gains pleasure from the pain of others. That is not our God. I had to deal with my son this week, and when I say deal with him, I had to help him. I had to put my hands on him, not to pray for him, but I had to help him. And after I helped him, he, he came back to the room and he's, you know, he's a little pile of face or whatever. And I said, son, get the Bible. And he goes, get the Bible. And, and we, we, we turn to Hebrews and, 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 and we're reading this text out of Hebrews 12. And the text says this, whom the Lord loveth, he chastises. Who he calls a son, he disciplines. And so I'm explaining to my son, see, the same way the Lord would discipline your father to, to, to 
conform him to his image. It's the same way I got to discipline you to conform you to obedience to your parents. And if I don't discipline you, I don't love you. And in the same way, don't think this exile is God saying to the nation of Israel, I don't love you. This is what Nehemiah says. He is a covenant-keeping God, which means he does not give up. He does not change his mind. He does not say, you know what, I'm through with you now. That's not who our God is. So when Nehemiah is appealing to this covenant-keeping God, he's saying, God, you're good, and you've already fixated your mind about me, and you're not changing it. So we pray differently to that God. Now, I'm not saying this, well, Lord, if it's in your good pleasure, Lord, when you get good and ready, Lord, if you have mercy on me in my sight, you'll bless me. I mean, if it's not too much or or if you you don't have the time, we don't pray like that. Why? We understand we're praying to a covenant-keeping, faithful God. So we appeal to his promises. We appeal to what he's already said about us. I love what else he does in verses 6 and 7. He takes ownership and he repents. And this is so important. He doesn't come and just say, Lord, can you please do this for me? Because you see how long I've been serving you. You see how much I've been giving. And you see how all that I've been doing for you. Can you please? No, he, he comes in and says, I'm a mess. He confesses his sins and he intercedes on the behalf of, of the sins of a nation. He doesn't explain it away. He doesn't say, Lord, well, 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 you understand I had a lot on my plate or I was tired. Or you understand I have a lot going on. He doesn't explain the sin away. He confesses it. He confesses it. And then thirdly and lastly, he says this in verse 9. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. He reminds God of what God said he would do when his people would blow it. He reminds God of what God said he would do when his people don't keep, their, keep his commandments. And he said, remember what you said? Remember you said you would gather them? You, 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 you would find them where they are? In other words, you can't outrun him. You can't outhide him. You can't outquit him. He knows where you are. And what we need is a church that would intercede for our city to say, God, you know where these people are. Would you draw them by your mighty hand and would you use us to be a part of it? So maybe there's someone at work, and maybe the call for you is to say, Man, I, God's calling me to invite this person into my life group. I don't know what they're going to say, but maybe I need to take that step and be salt and light where I work or salt and light in my neighborhood. Maybe it's in some relationship where I need to stop being so self-seeking and wanting my own way, but living in a, in a way that's sacrificial for others. See, what Nehemiah understood when he confesses this, we deserve death. We deserve destructions. The walls being torn down is an accurate view of what we deserve. 
Lamentations 3, 22, verse 23, one of my favorite passages, it says this, it is of the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We need to seek the Lord concerning that. The Lord wants people to return and the Lord wants us to return. Lastly, and I'm done, he doesn't come out this prayer and say, I checked my prayer box, I'm done today. He comes out of this prayer with two things. He comes out with a burden and he comes out with an action step. Look at what he says in his final verse. He says, oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to my prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servant who delights to fear your name and give me success or give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. What is this burden? Nehemiah has now seen through mourning and fasting and prayer and weeping and being before the Lord. You're calling me to this. And this is now a burden for me. Now, now a burden is not you volunteering in a ministry. Praise God for every volunteer in, uh, in this church that would volunteer in a ministry. But a burden is something that is so strong, you cannot shake that. I remember when we were planning this church seven years ago, maybe six months before we planted, I'm having a conversation with a man that I highly, highly, highly respect. And he says to me, Rodney, maybe now is not the time for you to plant this church. And I said to him, I'm sorry, but now is the time to plant the church. He said, son, listen to me. This may not be the time for you to plant the church. I don't think you should do it. And I said to him lovingly, I respect what you're saying, but I cannot listen to it. I said, God is calling me to plant this church, and it's so strong that if I don't plant it, it's sin against God. That's a burden. So when the challenges come, I'm still going to do it. If no one shows up, it's already fixated what's happening on Saturday nights for the rest of the year for me. No, no, no. Listen, I'm, I'm fixated on this burden, and God is the one that sustains me even when the burden seems heavy. His grace comes in and helps me carry the load because He's a partner with me in this burden that He has given me. What's your burden? What's your burden? Don't live life without a burden. Maybe this is why God has given this series to you. Because your burden has been you. And that's too low of a burden. Where it's not your only burden. He doesn't just leave with a burden. He leaves with an action step. And we'll see this next week. He is about to go before his boss and say, yo, um, this is my notice. <laughs> And I need money from you because I want to do something that's not going to benefit you. So I need your favor in this. He's going to give the big acts. We'll talk more about that next week. But here's something good for us to remember as we think about rebuilding. Two, two things. Here's your homework. Number one, what's your burden? What's your burden? What's your burden? What is it that God is calling you to do that you cannot shake no matter how hard you try? Number two, what is it that God's calling you to rebuild in your life? What is that? And then lastly, what is your next step? 
Maybe that's having a conversation with someone. Maybe that's having a really hard conversation with someone. Maybe he's calling you to live more sacrificially, to live more generously. I don't know. But whatever that is, you need to ask God for the grace and the strength to take that next step as we join him in rebuilding the things he's called us to rebuild. Let's, let's stand and pray. I want to pray with you, pray over you. Um, even if you're at home, I know it's weird. Stand. If you're driving, don't stand. Um, if you're laying in bed in your pajamas, you can stand. Just stand. I think that's good. Uh, let me pray for you. Would you do me a favor? Would you, would, you, would you lift up your hands, maybe make a cup or something? Just be open-handed if you can, if, if that's possible. If you're driving, don't be open-handed, please. Don't, don't, don't convince yourself you can do it. But I want to pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, as these hands are lifted, available to you for what you will do and for what you would purpose God, I, I, I pray, and, and this is an unusual prayer, but I pray that you would give us a burden for the disenfranchised, for, the, for people struggling with mental health, for, for people struggling with their finances, for those that are hungry, for those that are naked, for those that are the fatherless, for the foreigner, for the orphan, for the widow. Give us a burden not something that is manufactured by some church or some pastor, but a fresh burden that comes from you. And would you show us how to run in that? Would you give us next steps as you've given us this burden? Father, I pray for every, every relationship. I pray for, 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 for the health of the people that are listening to this. God, I pray that you would strengthen them. I pray that you would help us to rebuild in a way that honors you. So, God, we thank you for this. We thank you for all that you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.